In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Perhaps one of the most important things that we can do now in our prayer is we contemplate the wonder of Mary, our mother, is to give thanks, to ask for the grace, the gift of God, to be able to give thanks, to realize, to glimpse what it means that Mary is my mother, to appreciate a gift, to appreciate a presence that so often is unnoticed in my day-to-day living. And rather than feeling guilty or ashamed for that um, just ineptitude on our part, to put it that way, that numbness to this gift, let's in all humility say, Lord, but that's who I am. It's hard for me to appreciate what you give me. Lord, I'm deaf, I'm tone deaf to the words and to the grace that you offer me without even realizing. But at the same time, I can take some sort of consolation that that sort of deafness, that sort of obliviousness is also proper of a child. Children are that way too. And even though they aren't fully aware and even though they're often not the most grateful of creatures, if they are truly children, they are able to give thanks when they notice, when they wake up, when they realize. And that's what we want to actualize now in our prayer. Lord, I give you thanks for my mother. And Mary, we turn to you in our prayer as we celebrate this solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, a solemnity that we have tried the best that we could to prepare the preceding eight days. Mary, I turn to you and I tell you that you are wonderful, that you are beautiful, that I do love you and that I wish I could love you more. I wish that my love was more sincere, but right now I want to make it as sincere as it can be. And as best as I can, I put myself into your hands. I put my heart, my mind, my concerns, all of it, in your presence, I place it in your hands. Mary, thank you for being who you are. I've told this story many times, and, but I still I tell it again now because I think it's helpful for prayer of this woman in Rome after the Second World War. is a story you've heard me tell before of this priest, now deceased, who was a canon in St. Peter's Basilica. And he would tell about this woman who, while he was a parish priest in San Lorenzo in Lucina, in the historic center of Rome, after the war, when there was great hunger, when there were refugees, when there were people who didn't have places to stay, begging was the norm that there was an an older woman who lived somewhere in the vicinity in an attic he had heard that belonged to a distant relative of hers, and she too was a beggar, and, 
and kind of got by with the charity that people could afford her. But she was often in the church and he would see her there and he would see her praying. And one day after Mass, when he was in the sacristy, this woman came in and very timidly asked if she could have a Mass said for a special intention. Parish priests, that's very typical for them to experience that. He was not in the least surprised that someone would come in. He recognized her but hadn't spoken to her before. And, and he asked her, he said, okay, well, what would you like the intention of the Mass to be? And But before she said what she wanted the intention to be, she reached into, into her robes, into her rags, really, and pulled out a small bag and with a heavy thud, dropped it on the table and opened it up. And there were three solid gold coins in this little bag from before Italy was a country, back from the kingdom of Sardinia, where apparently this woman's family was originally from. And of course, the parish priest was shocked. He couldn't believe seeing that sort of wealth in that time, and especially coming from that woman, and the least thing that he expected. But he obviously understood that this was the family treasure that somehow she had managed to hoard and had managed to keep together in all of the adversities of the war. And he, anyways, he would tell the story, he tried to refuse it and back and forth, and he didn't get into detail about that. But then he just asked her, he said, what do you want the mass to be celebrated for? Assuming that it would be a dead husband or sons who perhaps were lost in the war or family members, the logical thing in a sense. But she looked at him and smiling said, Vorrei ringraziare Dio per aver fatto la Madonna così bella. I would like to give thanks to God for having made Mary so beautiful. And it's a story that helps us pray because it's a story that inspires us, I hope, with a desire like that. Wouldn't it be amazing if I had an experience of Mary that would bring me to that level of gratitude. Precisely in that woman's circumstance where she suffered objective need and want, any reasonable assessment, any kind of logical friend would have said, hey, look, you've got money, you know, take it a place to stay, take care of yourself. No one would have considered, not even the pre no one would have considered that she was somehow being selfish, using that money to sustain herself in the most minimal way, to kind of have a little bit of buffering from the uncertainties of the future. But precisely in that poverty, precisely in that need, she had discovered and experienced the beauty of Mary. And this, this is why we pray, this is why the church affords us these opportunities with these, uh, these wonderful solemnities, a chance to maybe for ourselves experience Mary not as statue, Mary not as teaching, Mary not as someone we see other people praying to, but as my mother and how beautiful she is. But beautiful, not just because, you know, we see a, a Renaissance painting where her face kind of fulfills 
all the proportions of Renaissance beauty in a physical way. But beautiful because she is the fullness of humanity, of femininity. And she is that precisely because of the feast that we celebrate today, the Immaculate Conception, conceived without sin. And what education we need to remind ourselves precisely on this feast that that's what it means to be without sin. Because in, in the culture, and I think it's just part of our, our fallen humanity, really, there's a, I would say, quite a widespread reaction to this idea of, you know, being completely without sin is, I don't know, a little bit boring, you know? I mean, need to have a little bit, you know, I mean, we don't want to be horrible, we don't want to be, you know, kind of robbing banks and killing people and, you know, trafficking in illegal arms or things like this. I mean, we don't want to really, really sin, but, you know, a little bit of sin, you know, just to kind of make life fun, a little bit of spice, a little bit of, you know, so you don't want to just have, I don't know, just porridge, you know, just kind of this, you know, and it's the, kind of this idea of the plainness of things and the flavorness of things is this kind of idea that, you know, somehow implicitly being holy is, you know, being flawless, never breaking any rules, my life unfolds itself within the very precise confines of a spreadsheet and the expectations of God and of others. And in doing so, well, I don't know, imaginatively is a... Because, you know, when people say we're going to have a little bit of fun, well, you know, a little bit of crack, a little bit of fun, it's, it's a little bit of transgression, right? It's a little bit of kind of doing what's not expected, loosey-goosey with the rules. Well, that has to do with the limitations of our imagination and the constraints of our culture. It doesn't have to do with what holiness is as we contemplate it in Mary, as we contemplate it in Christ, as we see it in the lives of the saints. The lives of the saints, precisely because they were united to Christ, are the lives of people who were radically unique. Because sin is what is typical, stereotypical, boring in the end of the day because it's repetitive, it's of a type. But precisely grace and the effort to strive and follow it is what makes us unique. Because it's what makes us ourselves. So many people have considered over and over this, this truly remarkable phenomenon of having unique fingerprints, you know, this kind of phys physical stamp on every single one of us that you are out of billions and billions and billions and billions of examples of homo sapiens sapiens, you are unique. You are not simply one among many, but that physical stamp is actually a sign that points to something spiritual. The fact that God calls me by name to be in communion with him and through that communion with him, communion with everyone else. And that is holiness and that is what we strive for. And when we contemplate Mary, when we not just contemplate her, but when we try to live our life relying on her, confiding in her, it's that uniqueness, it's that vocation 
that we're trying to align ourselves with. It's not an external kind of trying to pour ourselves into some sort of waffle iron that kind of, kind of seals us in some sort of mold of holiness, prefabricated. But it is the unfolding of something that we do not yet understand, nor could we at this moment yet understand. We lack creativity when it comes to imagining holiness. What it means to avoid sin. And in a, in a way, I, I don't know if it could be otherwise to a certain extent. I mean, you know, if you try to imagine, you know, could your five-year-old self really understand what's happening now in your, your experience now? I, I, I don't think mine could have. <laughs> hmm? I mean, I, I remember, uh, and I've mentioned this before, I mean, it's still, you know, just being five years old and promising my parents that if they would just buy me this, that was me done. Because I just could not imagine how I could ever want anything else if I could have that. And had someone sat me down and say, hey, let me explain to you the joy of friendship that you're going to experience. And also, too, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this word called anxiety and what that feels like and to be responsible. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to talk to you about that. I think the five-year-old me would have blankly stared, maybe with the attention span of about three minutes, or well, not three minutes, three seconds, and would have just said, why are you talking to me? What does this mean? And so we are, a little bit, with it, the, the way in which God is calling us forward. We are limited by what we have experienced heretofore. And this is why we need hope. This is why we need faith. A faith to trust that what God is promising us is possible because he promises it. Not because it squares with what I've experienced up to this moment. That it is possible for me to be a greater apostle. Greater because I'm more cheerfully alive to the reality of grace in my own life and to the possibility of grace in the lives of others. More hopeful, not because I really feel that I'm in a, in a groove and that things are really on a roll, but because I'm getting better at not relying so much on myself, but in relying on Him. Lord, help us to have greater faith, to have greater hope, to have a more flexible imagination of seeing the possibility of what it means to be a person of prayer, a person who can discover in what I'm doing in each particular moment the chance to be with you who can have the gratitude of understanding this precisely in that moment that you want to be with me, that you are seeking me out, and that my effort to be a contemplative in the world is not me trying to achieve some sort of prodigious spiritual feat, but it's me and all of my limitation and, and my weakness trying to say yes to what, me are call, what you are calling me to. 
Mary also, and, and, this is, and this has been true all throughout the history of Christianity and why devotion to Mary has proved so important throughout the centuries, Mary also ensures that we understand the humanity of Jesus. That Jesus not become abstract, angelic, spirit, a representation, but that we can really kind of copper fasten our faith and our belief in what St. John says in the prologue of his gospel, that the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And he became flesh because he was conceived and developed in the womb of Mary and that she gave him birth. A few days ago, I was visiting someone in the maternity hospital. Uh, a couple I'm very good friends with that just had their third baby. And I went in to uh, visit her and to bless the baby and to say hello because the baby had just been born. And we were there chatting and she was still in bed because she just had the baby. <laughs> and the little girl was there on the side in a little bassinet, a little... Uh, uh, little bed, the way a little newborn baby would be beside her mother, and there she was, wrapped up and had a little woolen cap on her head, you know, <laughs> there in her little redness. And at a certain point, she started to cry, and the mother turned to me. She said, Father Justin, would you mind handing her to me? And I don't know, maybe, maybe you would have been excited to do that, but I was just afraid <laughs> of somehow harming <laughs> you know because you just see it and it's just so small and so huh? it sorry her <laughs> you see her and she's so small so anyway but because i knew that the mother couldn't do it herself so i reached over and tried to do it as best i could remember and um by the way the really eerie thing is what the next day i opened my little youtube application and it suggested to me three videos on care of newborn babies. So it was a kind of real 1984 moment of just, oh my gosh, you know, everything that I'm doing is being observed by our friends at Google. So I, so I lifted the little baby up and I, I placed, gave it to the mother. And she did this very typical thing. She just took the little baby and just put her, it was crying in a very kind of one day old way of crying, placed the baby on her chest, and instantly everything was okay. So the baby just kind of snuggled up in a little ball, and everything was perfect. It's such a beautiful Marian scene. Marian because that is how Mary related to Jesus, exactly in that way. And when we love Mary, when we turn to her, God wants us to do that so that, among many other things, we can understand that relationship. That Jesus truly is one of us. Because all throughout the history of the church, the understanding has been that Mary unites us to Jesus. And just as an aside, so many uh, of the declarations and understandings of who Mary is, what she, what she, her significance theologically, have come as a result of clarifying, clarifying who Jesus is. The early Christological controversies of the 4th and 5th centuries. 
also involve clarifying who Mary is because they go together. Because that scene that is repeated countless times across the world of a mother and child is a scene that is at the very heart of our faith. Jesus is that human. But he is that human. He is exactly one of us, but he's not just one of us, of course. Because if he, if he were just one of us, he couldn't save us. He is that infant, that infant that right now in this time of Advent we are awaiting, that we are looking forward to. And as we come closer to the season of Christmas, the church will invite us to spend days, indeed weeks, contemplating this infant using our imagination and that our imagination activate our heart and our will and our mind to enter once again into this great mystery of God among us. But it's precisely God among us, not simply the infant among us, but this infant who is simultaneously the God who sustains me and calls me. That God is pure being, but pure being who comes to me as an infant. And that is what we look forward to in the season of Christmas. But today we rejoice and give thanks for this mother who always turns us to Jesus. And this is, this is the beauty of God's plan. The beauty of God's plan is that he always wants us to be focused on him, by being united to one another. This is his glory. And if we consider it even more specifically, God himself is in love with Mary. We're kind of speaking in a, in a human way, but it's, it's not a way that deviates us from the truth of God and his relationship to us and to Mary, but God is in love with Mary. This is another consequence of the Immaculate Conception, this privilege that she was, she was preserved from all contamination of sin in view of Jesus, in order so that Jesus could be that infant. Mary was prepared and was created with this very particular freedom, the freedom to not sin, and God loved her so much that he perfected his ability to create, if you like, humanity in Mary. And just as in Jesus, his pleasure rested on her. So if God contemplates and loves Mary, of course, what better way to be united to God than to love what he loves? To be united to him in his love and admiration. And very simply, so many saints throughout history have discovered for themselves the sort of spiritual wisdom that devotion to Mary leads us to. A spiritual wisdom that takes us beyond the temptation of arrogance when we rely too much on how things fit together in my own fairly limited mind. That sort of arrogance that requires things to make sense first to me. I want to understand them. 
I want them all to come together. And if that's the way that I require things to be, well, it's a little bit hard to have the humility that allows me to experience the joy and freedom of being a child, being a child before God. But in this great solemnity of Mary, in this day in which we give thanks and celebrate her presence in our lives, Lord, we ask you now to help us be those children. Children who are paradoxically wise beyond our years because we accept the gift of your mother and we accept that that gift is that she can be our mother. And today as we go throughout the day giving thanks, let's try to experience as best we can, as best we can, that presence. And now as we turn to the celebration of the Mass, in a particular way, and find your moment, find your moment in the Mass, to ask for that grace, the grace to receive Mary as mother, the grace to experience that beauty. I want to give thanks to God for having made la Madonna così bella, for having made Mary so beautiful. But Lord, help me see that beauty and help me give thanks for it as well. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.